the west coast of Africa, between Liberia and Guinea, lies Sierra Leone, and inland half a day's walk from the nearest market town, at the dead end of a dirt track, there where footpaths snake off into the rainforest, is the village of Puala. Between 1984 and 1986, an anthropologist, Marion Fermi, lived and farmed in the village. She returned with us in April 1990 to help make this film, a collaboration in which she often had to ask simple and naive questions as we fumbled our way to some understanding of the village. Usually we agreed the general direction of the film, sometimes we didn't. This is a portrait of Puala, a village of about 260 Mende people, living in a clearing in the forest in houses of mud brick and tin. Like any village portrait, it shows successful citizens and unlucky ones, clowns and gossips, happy households and divided ones. We spent Ramadan here, the Muslim month of fasting, and quickly began to feel we could recognize people and patterns of behavior found in any village. But day by day, differences emerged. The things we and the Mende could all see we saw in different ways, and the Mende saw things we couldn't see at all. Every person in Puala belongs to one of ten households. At the head of each is a man who appears to hold complete authority. One of the most successful is Bokari Carpenter. We decided to start with him as a model for the whole village. We asked him to name the members of his household. All these people have some call on Bokhari. He is responsible for them, and they in turn have responsibilities to the household. In the heat of the day, Puala is almost deserted. Whole households have decamped to their clearings in the forest. These are private family working places, off narrow paths, and have names of faraway places like Waterloo and Italy, ironically exaggerating their distance from the village. 
In Bokhari Carpenter's clearing, we asked how he got his family to work for him. At dusk, Bokhari and his family returned to the village. Oh, Uya isn't being awkward. She's trying to talk with a quid of tobacco in her cheek. Bokhari is a prosperous man, but his prosperity is in the number and vigor of his household, not in assets. They produce a lot and eat a lot. There's no backup. If the harvest fails, they are as precariously placed as everyone else in the village. Now at the end of the dry season, everyone is anxiously waiting to burn their newly cleared farms. They must burn before the rainy season sets in. That's essential for the next harvest cycle. Yeah. 
Food lies at the very heart of what matters to a family. Ask Massa what she likes about Bokhari, and she will say, he gives us food. This isn't unduly calculating. In a place where you might not eat, the statement, he is a good husband, he feeds his family, can carry with it the power and warmth of a declaration of love. As one of the most prosperous farmers, Bokhari attracts envy. There are rumours that his success comes from bargains he has struck with spirit forces. We asked him if it was true that people invoked supernatural powers. <laughs> Behind where Bokhari eats and sleeps is the big house. This is the women's domain. In every household it is where the wives and mothers-in-law, children and foster children, nursing daughters and daughters-in-law and their babies all live. Oh, 
Up early to film the mosque, we passed a house we didn't know and overheard the tail end of a row. No privacy in the village. During the month of Ramadan, the devout and fit rise before dawn to pray and fast during the daylight hours. There is a clarity about Bokhari Carpenter and his humming family activity that serves as a model but is not universal. Most people do not have as many wives and direct family. When they have heavy work to be done, they must call on more distant family and friends for help. In another clearing, in another part of the forest, we met Fatty. She is not working for her husband at his family clearing, but has come with her baby to sell his clearing. He needs oil in a hurry and doesn't have wives to help him.
We heard a distant and surprising noise. We learnt this man was a development official come, not for the first time, to reclaim payment for a rice loan. Abdullah's wives are accusing him of wanting to eat his daughter's baby. He insists he was only demanding that she should go to work in the family clearing. Perhaps eating babies is a turn of phrase. First the row at dawn, and now this. The village is a very public place. Abdullah didn't get his own way, modifying our simple picture of powerful men and acquiescent wives. And had they really meant he would eat his own grandchild? No, they meant he had a witch spirit inside him who would. The rice man, failed once more to collect his rice, leaves promising to return. The startling sound of his little motorbike fades. Away from the village, more ordinary life continues.
Monjama leaves for the village. She is the only wife of Sylvester, a man in early middle age. His best friend Brima also has only one wife. It can take a man years to accumulate the wherewithal to marry, and years more to get a second wife.
Kata Kuiwa Oto Ele di Enanya ya Pero We had now learned that the rice man was an official from the government seed rice loan scheme and that about 20 Puala farmers had taken the loan, agreeing to pay back the seed rice from their harvest. Four had defaulted. The first one we found, Bessé, a serious and hard-working man, took it seriously. He explained that his father-in-law had also borrowed, but had been unable to repay. By Mende rules, Bessé was responsible. He had paid back his father-in-law's debt and was now almost able to cover his own. The next defaulter, Selu, agreed he owed rice, said he would pay it back, but laughed as he said it. Third, Abdu, husband of Fati, who we had talked to about bedbugs and Mende food in the clearing. Abdu's reasons for default were arresting. His entire rice crop had failed, not due to natural causes, he said, but as an omen. Someone would die, in this case his aunt. And though he didn't deny taking the rice, he felt the victim of higher forces and lacked enthusiasm for repayment. Fourth and largest culprit, Joe Brimer, had left the village some time before our arrival, guilty of unspecified misbehaviour. It seemed he had a track record of default, and when the riceman had asked if it was worth hanging on for Joe, there had been general laughter. Surprisingly, Joe had come back to the village for our arrival celebration under his performing name of Joe Kai, Joe the Snake. Though once the festivities were over, he had vanished. The rice man's chances didn't look too good. Fatih's husband, Abdu, was pretty uninterested in the subject of rice, but he perked up considerably when Marian asked him for news of Gina, a woman who had also left the village. Gina was the wife of Musa, nicknamed Bad Knight, Abdu's brother, another performer at the welcome celebrations. Musama, <laughs> Abdu Dilo, Nasia Tiwe Bugama, Nasia Tibileo, Tiro Gina, Copunda, Maja, Yasia. Eh, Tonyamia. Be a people call. Give you a good quay. 
We had thought at first that selling Musa to be eaten was a figure of speech. According to him, it was not. But Musa had a second wife, Hawa, to console him after Gina's treachery. Unfortunately, all was not well. The dawn row we had overheard was about Musa and Hawa. There was more to it. Musa had decided to take a third wife, a teenage girl, Miata. He was working to help her parents initiate her into Sande, the women's society. By Mende rules, Musa expected Hawa to welcome a new wife. He expected her to help with the extra work needed to cover the costs. By Mende rules as well, a wife is not supposed to be jealous, not even to know the meaning of the word. Mm-hmm. 
One of the elders in Puala's Sunday society is Mama Kemar. Mende men have their own society too, the Poro, secret from the women. Poro is about the use and control of men's potency and power over people and place. These men have a palm wine drinking session, dawn and dusk. It's not surprising to find women are excluded, but it would be a mistake to take it simply as locker room chauvinism. Here there is a deeper division between the sexes. Each side holds knowledge and power that can and does frighten the other. 
Back in the village, the devout are at prayer. The rest catch up on the day's news. This particular hammock house favoured for evening meetings is called the BBC, a perplexingly wry tribute to the World Service. The men rock and gossip. We had been in the village for almost a month. Ramadan will be over the next day. Later, the women would fish for the feast of Wutubay that marks its end. There had been no rain for three days. The master farmer decided to burn. But almost as soon as they got into the water, there was a sense of deflation. The women couldn't get amongst the fish and got irritable with the children who had just come along for the splash. Yeah, <laughs> 
The rice man, a kindly soul, saves his old engine oil for the village women who use it on their hair. As for repayment of rice, he has drawn a blank again. Worse, the master farmer has washed his hands of the matter. The threat of withholding rice from the whole village had no apparent effect. I wondered how he felt. I mean, it's actually hard. Especially at this time of the year, when getting fuel has become a problem to us. The government is only entitled to give us 30 liters a month. That is one liter per day. You must like your job then. Pardon? Do you like mm. your job then? Yeah, I do like it. I mean, personally, I like the job. Otherwise, I give up. Of the four defaulters, only Bessie had paid up. Abdu and Selu still said they would, but not yet. And the main culprit, Joe Brimer, was still missing. We had learnt that his other problem in the village was the non-payment of a hefty fine incurred for deflowering an initiated but as yet unmarried woman. We also learnt that as well as being known as Joe Brimer and Joe Snake, he was also known as Joe Let's Have a Party. We passed messages to him through an intermediary and went looking for him on his farm some way from the village, but like the rice man, we drew a blank. Bakima, <laughs> Bang <laughs> 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 we had remarked the boy Koji, a son of Bokari Carpenter, from the start. He was very active and cheerful, and sometimes came and helped us carry our gear. But it was only now that we learned that Koji, his nickname, was the name of an ominous rock spirit. We passed Koji on the way home. I wanted to talk to him. Marion did not. She thought there was a danger of placing undue significance on the accusation, 
He had been only one among several reasons suggested for the poor catch. She also thought it would frighten the boy. I felt it was a remarkable opportunity. All the talk of the supernatural, hearsay and gossip. And here was a small boy actual, who they were saying sometimes housed a witch spirit. I also thought that because spirits were commonplace here, we would not frighten him if we took care. Marion and I could not agree, but as only she spoke Mende, we couldn't and didn't talk to him. Initiation is suspended during Ramadan. Musa told us that he and Miata would marry the moment she was initiated and that they would live together happily ever after in Puala. He had spent so much time and effort, suffered so many dangers and disappointments on the marriage trail. Why did he keep going? The rice man leaves determined to prosecute Joe the snake. He'll have to find him first. For the rest, he is disappointed but not surprised. And Mende himself, he knows that any loan scheme can only fit Puala imperfectly. In the Mende world, where a whole crop can be hijacked by an omen, life is just too unpredictable. Sylvester and Brimer, like all Mende, have an exceptional knowledge of rice farming and side by side with the natural world with which they have to deal, they recognize a supernatural one as omnipresent and as mundane. The supernatural affects farming and fishing. It comes into family arguments and explains why the palm wine is strong. In Puala, the magical is part of the ordinary. And in Puala, the ordinary can have in it the extraordinary. The deep feeling that Massa felt for her husband, Bokhari, expressed in terms of him providing food. The passion in the voice of Brahma next. He is talking of the deepest love, though he describes the most commonplace. 
The question, what is a love wife?